You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. Now, my very special guest today is Pastor Werner Order. He, he pastors the Tuckton Christian Fellowship. But Werner, can I begin by asking you, uh, how did you come to faith? How did you come to Christian faith in the first place? Yeah, that is a good question. Um, I came from... Uh, uh, a terrible background, and uh, I was uh, on the road of self-destruction. I remember running into a man who said to me, Werner, if the way you continue, you've got two options. You either go to prison for life or to hell forever. And he was absolutely right. And uh, that actually, I don't know who this person was, um, uh, but he set me thinking. I went home. I thought about it. I couldn't change myself because... We all know what to do, but we don't know how to do it, and we haven't got the strength to do it. I couldn't change myself, so God sent another person who told me about Jesus, and uh, I became angry uh, when he told me about Jesus because inside me there were some demonic forces at work that really wrecked my life, and uh, I went home, I fumed, I couldn't sleep day and night for three days until I realized I had to make my peace with God. Um, I asked Jesus into my life, asked to be forgiven, and that was the beginning of a long journey. Well, it's, it sounds like a, a quite an exciting journey as well, from what the life that you came for to the life uh, you went to. What was your family life like? Well, uh, I was um, when I was born, uh, my father was in prison, and uh, I deducted that I was conceived in prison. And so I was asking questions why he was in prison. Nobody was um, telling me about it. Everything in Austria at that time was, uh, the mantra was, we didn't see anything, we didn't know anything, we didn't hear anything, and we didn't do anything. And in reference to the Holocaust, Austria was completely complicit. And my father was arrested for uh, killing Jewish people. He was arrested because of Simon Wiesenthal. He was a uh, Nazi hunter who tracked him down. My father was arrested and he was imprisoned. So your father was a Nazi himself? Well, yeah. I mean, he was a, he was accused of killing Jewish people. So, yes, he was. He was. But, of course, you, you weren't conscious of that. How old would you have been about that time whenever you were trying to process all this stuff? Well, I, I didn't know anything except that when I was about two years of age, uh, I remember somebody coming through the door and uh, I was told this was my father, first time I've seen him. And it was like uh, some kind of dark Darth Vader came through the door. As a child, I didn't see the person. I saw the demonic forces all around him. I was scared. And on that day, hell broke loose in our life. So I take it that your relationship with him was pretty much non-existent. Well, I only saw him three times. Once when he com- came home from prison, like I just described. The second time was when he beat up my mother and us. And the third time was when he was in the coffin. Mm. So not happy memories there. What about your mom? How, how did she cope? I felt, uh, in retrospect, as, as children, you know, even when we grow up, we blame our parents for the mess that is in our life. But actually, you know, we have to blame ourselves. Nothing to do with our parents. It's our, our, our decisions. But I, um, I now, in retrospect, felt very sorry for my mother because she escaped 
from Germany. Um, she was a very attractive woman in her uh, late 20s. And uh, when the Russians invaded Germany to um, beat back the Germans, she fled on foot during the night from Germany to Austria. She discussed disguised herself as an old woman in order to be saved from the Russian rapists that came in. And so she had suffered from very bad PST, uh, post-traumatic stress uh, disorder. And then she found this man who promised her all kinds of, you know, wonderful things until she discovered who he was. So my mother was doubly traumatized. And then she discovered she had a child from hell like me. I feel very sorry, even to this day, I, I felt very sorry for this woman uh, and uh, that I never did enough for my mother. And did she live to see that something of the transformation in you? She did, but I, I think it's, it was too little too late in many ways. I did, I, I managed to love her the last few years of her life and do things for her and, and stuff, but uh, the damage was so great. Um, she died alone. What about your, your your brothers and sisters? Did you did you have brothers and sisters? Yeah, my father was a womanizer, so I've uh, discovered later on I have got brothers, half brothers and sisters all around the world. Yeah, uh, there was early days of your Christian walk. What was that like for you? Uh, what was it that helped you to grow as a Christian? Uh, the 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 person who told me about Jesus, he was responsible for a missionary organization called. Uh, Cape Murray Missionary Fellowship. Uh, it's an international uh, missionary fellowship. Wonderful people, and they they discipled me and invited me to come to England, which I did. So, in retrospect, I see that God helped me to escape from an environment that would have killed me because I could never get past my legacy. And so, coming to the UK. They discipled me, and they helped me to become strong. Now, you you touched very briefly on the fact that obviously there were demonic influences you know, on your life and so on. Was it hard to really get free of 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 the past and and all, of course, that that you'd experienced, even though you were you were very young, of course, whenever you were introduced to some of this stuff. Yeah, it, it was very difficult because. Uh, uh, um, I never really understood properly uh, until so later that when when you become a Christian and give your life to Jesus, he cuts off every curse. He delivers you from all evil. And if that doesn't happen, you're not born again because you know, Jesus doesn't come to live in anybody and leave a generational curses active until you have to have some kind of religious do-gooder to come and try and cut those things off. I mean, if the Son shall set you free, you shall be free indeed. And I discovered that, that, that I was set free from the demonic forces. But the difficulty was to relearn a different lifestyle. You know, you, you develop a bad habit, bad, bad language, bad attitudes, bad dispositions, and you have to relearn a new lifestyle by simply controlling those things, learn a different way of speaking, and not blame, you know, the generational curses or the relatives on that. You know, you need to change. And God, by his power, helped me. Christ in me 
gave me the power to change. Now, of course, as you quite rightly say, that Jesus triumphed over evil by the by the cross itself, and uh, I made a public display uh, what the Absolutely. Bible calls principalities and and powers. But I guess like we have to, as Christians, we have to appropriate that victory, don't we? Yeah. Uh, and, and I guess uh, God does promise to give us the power and I guess that's what you discovered so you but you had your part to play in the sense that that I guess there were things that that needed to stop but I guess the part to do it because I've heard a, a lot of people talk you know about addictions and so on and of course it's difficult to get free but but of course it's God himself who gives the power if there is the willingness of the person you know, to want to be free and and to move forward with with Christ. Yeah, I think uh, I think one of the signs of uh, being born again is you stop making excuses. And, and this is the thing: is that my lifestyle, my life was inexcusable. No matter what addictions they are, no matter what sin, I had to take responsibility. And uh, a sign of uh, the domination of sin is the person makes excuses. They excuse themselves, oh, I'm having a bad time, you know, I need those drugs, I need to drink. Oh, no, we don't. I've been there. And, and I know that I have to fight for my freedom. I, I've had to fight. This is what the fight is, fighting the good fight of faith, is to fight for your freedom. That is to fight yourself. You have to fight yourself and who you are until you become who God wants you to be. And, of course, I guess a lot of people listen to the voices in their head that tell them that they are rubbish, that they'll never amount to Absolutely. anything, and so on. Yeah. And, of course, that's the, that's the lies, isn't it, that unfortunately many people believe. Yeah, it is that, you know, when you struggle like this, the devil comes and he, in a mysterious way, has the ability to create thoughts in your head that are directed against you because he hates the freedom. He sees the process of freedom taking place and he tries his best to hinder it by injecting thoughts to say like you rubbish yourself you say you're not good you're not never be anything you're not going to make it you're a loser and if you allow those thoughts in they're just like arrows which have got a barb with poison on it and it, it just begins to poison your system and you have to recognize this is not from God this is from the evil one I will not listen to that and you have to counteract it by saying who you are in Christ mm. you just simply say I'm a, more than a conqueror I'm a son of God I'm a child of God I'm anointed by the power of God let's have your first piece of music now this is Mike and the Mechanics The Living Years why, why, why this one? Well, I, it just speaks about the relationship that we have to have with our parents. And most uh, people have a very bad relationship with the parents because they're blaming the parents for every evil. They don't realize that the parents have done their best, have given them their all, paid for the schooling, wiped their butts when they were little. And th- we forget those things. And this, this song is great that you have to do something while your parents are still alive. So go and bless your parents today. Go right now and bless them.
Well, that's uh, Mike and the mechanics there. And of course, uh, that was a wonderful song, The Living Years, with a, with a challenge to all of us uh, to uh, to make sure that, that we put things right with people around us, and particularly our parents, whilst we can in this side uh, of, of eternity, this side of heaven. Of course, that can be quite difficult. Now, Verna, of course, you were to become a pastor. Did you have stirrings uh, you know, quite early on? I mean, clearly you were born in Austria, yeah? Yeah. And you moved to the United Kingdom. But at what time did the, the whole idea of full-time Christian service enter your head? Uh, firstly, God called me to... Uh, come to England, and uh, he called me uh, to be a missionary, but I didn't know how to go about it. I was a very, very immature Christian, so uh, I didn't. I wasn't very good at school, so I didn't really actually know where England was and who England was and, <laughs> and stuff, but I hitchhiked across Europe. Uh, I came to England. How old, how old were you then? I just had left the army. I was about 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and came to England and I got a job with the missionary, a Christian missionary organization called Cape and Ray. Um, and uh, it was during that time um, uh, with Cape and Ray, uh, I went back to Austria then for a couple of years. Well, God called me uh, into the ministry and he called me in a way that um, was unmistakable. He says, I want you to give up. Well, I had a really good job. I had a great career. He, I want, he said, I want you to give up all, forsake all, uh, quit your job, uh, give up your lovely apartment, uh, leave your relatives and your kindred, and uh, become a minister in England. So that was very clear. There was no doubt about it. I, I never had any doubt. I was so excited about it. I told everybody who thought I was, in, you know, I was insane mm. to do that. You've got a career like this. You've got life mapped ahead. You, you wanted to build your own house. You wanted just to buy a BMW, and you give all this up to start from scratch, you know, in a foreign country that you don't know. But God just empowered me so much that, yeah, you know, in retrospect, had I known what was in store for me. I would have run. I, 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 I would have escaped from God. I would have done, you know, what what, what Jonah did. You know, I, I would have shot the whale first so he couldn't get me back. You know, and and stay in Tenerife for the rest of my life. But this is how it was. I mean, a lot of people, you know, I mean, clearly you were talking about hearing from God and knowing God's call is very, very important. But, of course, a lot of people struggle with knowing what God's call is like, hearing God's voice. How did you know that it definitely was God and not some little voice in your head? Well, uh, one of the problems in that, in, I've, been, I've been a minister longer than it took Israel to walk from Egypt to, into the promised land. Okay, uh, yeah. so I've come across anything already. And the most annoying people in the church are those who come and tell you the Lord told me. And sometimes I have to say to my leadership people, please stop me from slapping them because they are so silly saying God told me when it's just their feelings. Mm. Because simply when God calls you, it's not a voice in your head. It is more than that. It's a revelation. And that revelation needs to be confirmed by the Scripture. So unless you have a confirmation, because everything has to be established before with, with two or three witnesses, and the one is you call, the second thing needs to be the Scripture. God has to back up your call with the Scripture. And the third thing is you need to have somebody who walks with God, who comes into your life and says, I believe what you have heard is from God. And once you have those three witnesses in place, you can go anywhere and do anything. 
So those those witnesses, obviously, you had yourself, and that gave you great confidence. I suppose also that clearly you hit many bumps in the road, particularly in the early days of your ministry. Oh, would, man. It, would it be true to say that what really sustained you was the fact of knowing that God had actually called you? It, it, absolutely. Once you know the call of God, you have the option to run away. But, you know, God corners you and brings you back. And I wanted to run away many times. Uh, and But, you know, when you have that call, there is something inside you which is like uh, a nuclear power plant that no matter what happens around you, the feelings and the experiences you have, and, the, you know, ministry is a hell of a job. Hell of a, don't go there out of enthusiasm. Those people who say, oh, I feel it's a privilege to be a pastor, I say, wake up, man. It's the hardest job in the world. But when you have a call from God, nothing can shift you. Nothing can move you. The devil can't, can't, you know, elbow you aside because you are called by God, empowered by him to make a stand and not to backpedal. And this is how it was. Now, obviously, you did hit many difficulties. Tell us something about what you had to face. The thing is, people don't realize that when Jesus calls you to follow him, uh, we think the we think the road is health, wealth, and prosperity, and success, and sunshine, and you know, it's not. Come to Jesus, and never another problem. Absolutely, you know, it, it sounds so nice, you know. And of course, you get you attract loads of followers, and if you preach that message as a minister, you've got a full church of people whose expectation you cannot fulfill because the road of Jesus is a road of suffering. And you start hitting the bumps, and you know what Jesus what experienced. He was betrayed by the elders, and I think one of the hardest things, most difficult thing, is a betrayal by your fellow Christians, who who smile to your face and stab you in the back like the politicians. You know they say we stand with Israel while making deals with Hamas. You know I mean this is exactly how it is, and this is very painful. And you have to learn to forgive, otherwise you become embittered. And uh, you know if you become a minister with a bitter spirit, you poison the whole church. And and I had to go to God, and, and it, that betrayal is always the worst. I think it really is. You, you had that, did you? Oh, <laughs> once, twice, ten times. I really don't know. Many times, and it happened with Jesus. That he was his own people that crucified him, you know, by condemning him. And and this is what happens in the church. If you have a call from God, you've got the the do gooders come alongside you and say, "We believe in your vision. We really think you're, you're a great preacher. What are you doing?" And then the moment you you have uh, you know, you get that. You go down, something. They stab you. They try and kill you. They just walk all over you. And you know, this is the the duplicity in the church today. A lot of the ch- church, what we think is church, is false. It's a false. It's like a house of cards, and we can play church games in there, you know, for the rest of our lives. But it is false. And a lot of Christendom in the West is false. Mm. Uh, obviously, God bless brought people into your life. You mentioned the Capenry College, and, and of course you got married, and so on. I know your, your, your wife is now with the Lord uh, in heaven. Uh, t- tell us something about the people that God brought into your life, Verna, to encourage you, so that you were able to stand in the midst of, of all these challenges that you were to face. Yeah, I have some, you know, some very good friends uh, who 
some of were some of them were my mentors and and people who stood with me, but the trouble is, and uh, they, they seem to have died too soon. I still needed them, and they were no longer there. But mm. they were wonderful people, and I remember Methodist Methodist minister Jack Pontes. I don't know whether you remember him. He was. Uh, the minister at the uh, Winton uh, Methodist Church he was a great man, and I, he loved me. He and his wife, they took me under their wings. I needed them so badly, I knew nothing. And people like that, you know, that came, and, and people from around the world, uh, it's amazing. When, when you needed somebody, God sends them into your life, and uh, I'm very grateful for them. I had, you know, one of my dearest friends is uh, I was Dr. Alan Redpath he was one of my mentors he, David Paulson was a great friend of mine for you know 45 years uh, we, we met on a regular basis and uh, people like this Lance Lambert was a great friend uh, and uh, that is it's an eternal friendship and I miss him greatly and your, your wife how did you meet her I met her at Cape Marie Mission Fellowship. I remember we became friends, and um, and uh, one of the leaders from the Cape Marie Mission Fellowship came to me and said, "Verna, it looks like you know you're you're, you're heading towards more than just a friendship, <laughs> and it doesn't look good." So I said, "Oh, I, I agree, Chris. So, uh, thank you for telling me." I went to Avril. My wife said, "I'm sorry, we have to just call it off." And I walked away and left her like that. And I walked through the door of my room, room number 38, remember. And as I walked through, God spoke to me as clear as anything. He said, this is the girl you're going to marry. I mean, it, it was so clear. I turned on my heel. I knocked on her door. Like an audible voice. Yeah, it was. <laughs> I, I very rarely did I have such a clear. And I knocked on her door and says, how about getting married? <laughs> so it, it was like it was like that, and then uh, I was secretly uh, printed um, engagements announcements, and then um, I went on holiday to and my wife Avril, she, her, her her parents had a Christian guest house in the south coast of England, so we went there on holiday and left the whole Cape Marie Mission Fellowship puzzling about those. Uh, engagements announcement which arrived on their doorstep in the middle of the night and they were looking for us everywhere they couldn't find us it was fantastic it was a huge scandal as well but <laughs> well my very special guest uh, today is Pastor uh, Werner Oder and uh, he been sharing in, uh, really about the early life of his faith he's a man who doesn't mix his words and of course sometimes that can make people very uncomfortable but equally sometimes the fear of what people think or the fear of man the Bible calls it means that, that sometimes the truth isn't spoken uh, and of course what you end up with is people very confused and not really sure but the Bible Jesus did say you will know the truth and the truth will set you free but of course the truth sometimes can be uh, very painful and I guess that you've discovered that uh, Werner that that you, you've had a lot of opposition haven't you in one form or another but equally you've had a lot of blessing yeah the thing is if God calls you the devil hates you and uh, so you know you have to understand who you are in God and not become arrogant or whatever and when it comes to speaking the truth uh, you know there's there's two ways of doing that one is you can use a truth like a bullet and shoot people in the head or you can speak the truth in love and that's not being smarmy it's the person needs to know that you love them 
Yes, and, because then it gives, gives you the right to speak into their lives, doesn't it? And then you will say it correctly if you love them and they know they're loved. You can say this and in God's timing, and then the truth works. Otherwise, you know, the preachers who stand up and you abuse the authority in shooting a machine gun truth around the church, they're the people who have got no idea, you know, how this principle works. I love that scripture that says, better are the wounds of a friend than the kisses of an enemy. And, uh, <laughs> and of course, uh, you know, uh, the kisses of an enemy will tell you whatever you want to hear, take your ears. But a true friend, even knowing that sometimes they may risk the friendship, will tell, tell you the truth. Well, yeah, I, I, with, with church leadership, uh, you can't just go on the basis of appointments just because somebody has good leadership ability or whatever. You have to have a friendship. And when you have built a friendship with people, then it doesn't matter how great their gifting is, but they will never let you down. A friend's eye sticks closer than a brother. Mm. And, and once you have a friendship in leadership in church, it works. Now, let's turn our attention to Israel. Now, clearly uh, on the news today, again, it was about the British government f- facilitating uh, British people being able to be, to come out of Israel, come out of Gaza, uh, and so on. Uh, you did entirely the opposite, <laughs> and uh, you, you went to Israel. Why did you decide, uh, knowing that the conflict was there, why did you decide to go? Uh, C.S. Lewis says that uh, when you see a crowd running towards a cliff, the person who runs the opposite seems to have w- be the one who lost his mind. And I think in this world where people are like lemmings heading towards a destruction, you have to run the opposite. And with Israel, of course, the foreign office and everybody says, don't go there, because once you go there, you're really out of control, off there, out of their control. But I feel that, you know, now when everybody hates Israel and it's because of the underlying fact is the world hates God and he's a God of Israel. And so because they can't get to God, they can get to the people of God. And I just feel that Israel needs people who have courage uh, to stand up for Israel. And uh, I, I, I went uh, against the advice of the foreign office, my friends, my family, because I knew God called me to be, to go there. Was it difficult to get a ticket? No, no, it wasn't. And the thing is that, you know, you have to go through all the security stuff in life. But as I was examined by the Israeli security, I said, hey, friends, I said, let's forget the protocol. I'm here because I love you. I love Israel. I would do anything to support Israel. And the whole protocol stopped. The whole security, they started gathering around my chair. They gave me a chair for me to sit down and say, excuse me, sir, we have to examine your, your luggage. And they stood around me and we talked about Israel. And they, they told me that, that some of their friends are missing and, and all that. And, and one of the girls, you know, she was, they were all trained people. They're too professional to cry. But she was nearly in tears when she said to me, when you get to Israel, greet the land for me. And, the, you know, that was the security people. On the other side, in Israel, I arrived at Ben-Gurion, the only person at the immigration desk. Everybody was running out. There was chaos in the airport. And, and I, I said to one of the security people there, this guy on your team should be not on your team because he he's not uh, causing people to be calm. He's, he's creating panic. He says, quick, 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 this. So I was the only one at the, security, at the immigration. And the official said to me, why are you here? And I looked him straight in the eyes and said, I come here to mourn with those who mourn, 
and to grieve with those who grieve. And this guy shut down his office and he started talking to me. He says, no one does that. And it, I bring the love of God to a persecuted people. Where did the love for Israel begin with you? I mean, was it because of, of, of your dad uh, being a Nazi and almost the need for someone in the family, your family, yeah, it's to not, redeem that situation? Not at all, not at all. Um, I had no idea about everything was hushed up, but I was sitting in a Catholic church because I was brought up a Catholic, and, and God trained me. First I was brought up a Catholic, then I was confirmed as a Lutheran, and then I was born again and became an evangelical. Then I was baptized in the Holy Spirit and became a Pentecostal, <laughs> and then I started speaking in tongues and became a charismatic. So I've been through the whole thing. You can't tell me anything new, right? Wore the T-shirt, got the badge. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I was sitting in the Catholic Church going through the Catholic Confession of Faith, and uh, the first Something strange happened. Uh, big Catholic Church. Um, I believe in God the Father, the Creator of heaven and earth. And then something stopped. I don't know what stopped. It was like the tape stopped. And the question formed in my mind, God who? And I suddenly had the revelation of the Holy Spirit, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, Jacob, Israel. He is the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, and there is no other God. He's not the God of the Vatican. He's not the God of the Baptist. He's the God of Israel. I had this revelation. Amazing. And then the, the confession of faith carried on. I don't know how this happened. And in Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, born of the Virgin Mary. And Jesus Christ... And suddenly they stopped again and said, Jesus Christ, Jesus wasn't called Jesus Christ because that's a Greek translation. Jesus wasn't Greek. He was Jewish. Mm -hmm. The Son of God is Jewish. And then the confession of faith went to the Holy Hole of Holies, you know, and uh, born of the Virgin Mary, who is, you know, the God of the Catholic Church. And he stopped again and said, she was never called Mary, because she wasn't a Catholic. She was called Miriam because she was Jewish. And this was a revelation I had in the Catholic Church during the Catholic Confession of Faith, which has actually implanted in my life a revelation of Israel and the significance of Israel and the journey of Israel, the importance of Israel, that is dynamic, that's amazing, that is, you know, world-changing. It's interesting because I, I've been myself a couple of times to, to Israel and, and been to Yad Vashem, uh, of course, the, <coughs> the the memorial site for the Holocaust. Uh, it's incredible, isn't it, that uh, that Israel potentially uh, should have been destroyed many times over the Six Day War, of course, and in some ways with all of the surrounding nations. I, I guess one of the things that uh, Hamas wants at the moment is for Iran and Syria and all of these other countries that Israel has had reasonably peaceful relationships with of late but obviously I guess that if they rise up but of course that had happened previously in the Six Day War yeah. and against uh, uh, literally uh, everything uh, that they survived uh, and so on but uh, but it's quite amazing to me that, that even today that people deny that the Holocaust even happened well, why do you think that there is such a feeling of strength against the land of Israel by so many. And, of course, it's been made a little bit worse because of the current conflict, which we'll come back to in a moment. But, but, but this feeling of you know, the Holocaust 
you know, the fact that that could happen and six million people, men, women and children, wiped out, you know, and yet the nation, which of course, the other, the other aspect of that is of course that very often Israel has been a nation in rebellion, you know, which of course we know that coming out of Egypt and so on. Uh, I worked in a Jewish youth club for a while, and it was quite funny, actually. They're very good at, r- at raising funds and so on. But also, one of the things that impressed me was the family life uh, that there is within the Jewish community and so on. But anyway, going back to those two questions, uh, why do you think that Israel is so hated by so many people? Well, firstly, we have to realize that the devil is the god of this world. He controls the world. He, calls the, he controls every government. Every government is evil, and the politicians are the criminals, very much so. You know, they are not the people who are for you. You know, every government around the world with various degrees, they operate on the basis of mind of a matter. They don't mind and you don't matter. Pay your tax, keep your mouth shut, and let us do what we want to do. And so we have got this anti, anti-God Worldwide, every government is evil, and the reason why they're evil because they hate God, they hate the the laws of God, because the laws very clearly say, you know, if the Ten Commandments, basically, for example, you know, they're the laws of God. You know, no government operates on that basis, and so anybody coming in and say, hey, you you're doing something that is against the law, you know, it just makes people feel, you know, aggressive. Shut up! Don't you tell me what? And this is this worldwide hatred of God. And it is directed against the Jewish people because they remind the world of God. They remind the world of the laws of God, the principles of God. But nobody wants to operate on that, and so therefore this is where the hatred comes from. Indeed. Now, of course, obviously, I suppose we ought to clarify the fact is that, I mean, although clearly Jesus himself was born uh, as a Jew and, 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 and had a real heart. You know, he said in terms of the Jewish law, I don't come to destroy it, I come to fulfill it uh, and so on. But of course it was then uh, the Apostle Paul uh, who then uh, was really given the ministry to, to bring it to the non-Jewish people, to the, to the Gentiles. So the gospel of course is for all of us yeah. t- together and so on. I suppose we ought to also say that that whilst I guess having been a politician myself for a short time, I guess that uh, you know I mean, there is corruption I guess in all governments to one extent or another. But there's also good people there as well. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 So I guess we just need to hold those in in, in balance. Yeah. But anyway, um, going back uh, to your trip, I mean, obviously we've seen terrible um, scenes on our television and so on and of course there have been protests uh, which I guess are are very much pro-Palestinian and because I guess that people on on our screens are seeing the terrible suffering that people have of course also the fact that Hamas had started the whole thing not not the entire argument of course but obviously the the reprisals which are happening now was because of of the act that that that, that they did, and so on. Well, what's your take on all of that? Well, it, it is it is a strange worldwide deception that's taking place, and the BBC and all the governments who tolerate uh, pro-Palestinian pro- protests are actually supporting Hamas and say, we agree with you. 
Otherwise, they wouldn't tolerate that. I mean, it's strange that they can uh, protest on the streets of Britain and other parts of the world, and yet uh, the person who prays outside the abortion clinic or the one who declares that Jesus is Lord on, on Hyde Park Corner gets arrested for upsetting the Muslims. So we have got those strange double standards. But I was talking with some of the uh, high, uh, sort of well-to-do businessmen, and he, he says, oh, I don't want to be committed about what's happening in Israel. I said, well, you can't stick your head in the sand. Now, he's a senior uh, uh, businessman, so nobody talks to him like that. So I said, you can't stick your head in the sand. What would you do if somebody breaks into your house and rapes your children, your, your lovely girls, uh, rips your wife open who is pregnant and decapitates the the fetus, you know, and cuts her head off and puts her children in a cooker. You know, what would you do? And, and, he, and he shouted at me, stop. He says, stop, I can't, I, I can't think. And this is our refusal to, to uh, condemn an evil that the Nazis didn't do. You know, I, I know more than the rest of, of you guys out there about what the Nazis did. And, and, and this refusal to condemn this goes back a long way to what the church has done 1,400 years ago. Mm. I mean, clearly, one of the things, I mean, there's many, many innocent people that, I mean, in the same way that, of course, you know, that there were, I guess, in every conflict, there are people who are who are innocent and, and none more so, of course, than, than the children and so on. Uh, I guess that where you have extremist groups like Hamas and so on, that, of course, they can use techniques. I mean, obviously, there are elections and so on, but are they really free elections? Was it a free election that gave Hamas, for example, control of Gaza? And, 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 and although, of course, they were voted into power, and, and so on, and they've maintained that power, it must be incredibly difficult for any individual to stand against that evil. Absolutely. I mean, 80% of the people in Gaza voted for Hamas, and, and that, that 20% were not voting and they're risking their own lives. And, they're, you know, they, Hamas is shooting their own people, the people who are fleeing from the war zone in the north of Gaza. You know, Hamas is, is shooting them down as they're fleeing, so they're shooting their own people. And, and uh, you know, the, the innocent, uh, you know, are being uh, brutalized by what Hamas has done. Really, I mean, what should Israel do? Just say, "Oh, sorry." Yeah, you and, know? I, and I guess even the eighty percent that that voted to put Hamas in, into power—that of that number—I mean, I guess that there would be a lot of fear there. Absolutely, because it wouldn't be just the twenty percent who decided. Yeah, no. yeah. I guess they had courage, but but clearly, you know, uh, huge intimidation. It is, and when you consider the. Uh, the 2,500 terrorists, Hamas terrorists, there were women and children amongst them who attacked Israel, who attacked the community that was sleeping, they were at peace. And, you know, how does anybody justify that? And I, I think it's absolutely uh, diabolical that no government is actually standing up and saying, hey, you know, we condemn this. I mean, on, 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 the, on the front, a lot of politicians, you know, they say the right thing, uh, you know, pro-Israel, but behind them, they do deals with Hamas. Mm. Of course, there are nations like the United States, I guess the UK and so on, are, are, are clear uh, about the fact that they are supporting Israel. 
and so on. But I hear what you're saying, I, that, uh, that clearly there are other agendas and, and so there on. There are. And you, you've asked me, you know, because I've been to Israel, I've been talking to the Israelis and the people, some people in, the, in, in government and stuff. And I said, the Americans come and say, yeah, we support you, we give you all the weapons you need to defend yourself, but you have to keep the corridor open, you know, for humanitarian aid to go into Gaza. And we said, well, what about the humanitarian aid that goes to Israel? I said, no, we have got 180 UNRWA trucks waiting. They have to go in. Well, you know, that doesn't go to the needy people in Gaza. It goes to Hamas, who has just raided the UNRWA warehouse. It, it was their own friends, right? UNRWA is their own friend. And, and so there's those deals that the Americans, and Americans mainly said, well, unless you do this, what we say, we don't give you the weapons you need. So on the forefront, they say, oh, Biden, you know, said, oh, we support Israel. This is all horrible. And that was very good. Biden's speech or Biden's speech was very good. But behind that, all those dealings, which are diabolical, we they say, we, we, lo- we won't let you have those bunker Buster bombs, which you need for the tunnels, unless you open the corridor into Egypt. And of course, mm-hmm. we're saying we're commenting there about Israel's survival against all of the odds. Is that because there's God's hand of protection on that land? Well, very clearly so, because right now Israel is fighting, fighting on five fronts. They're being, you know, uh, attacked by Hezbollah in the north, by Hamas in the south and the west. And and and, uh, and so Iran is threatening and stuff like that. So really, Israel is in a most precarious situation like never before. It's worse. Everybody says it's worse than the Six Day War. It's worse than the Yom Kippur War. It is a very, very, very dangerous situation. And how do you think that that ties in with end time prophecy? Because obviously, many people speculate. Well, this is it, folks. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, this is difficult because um, I have been talking about Jacob's trouble, which Jeremiah talks about in chapter 30. And a lot of people argued with me, especially friends in the ICJ and so on. They say, no, this was a Holocaust. And I keep saying to you, well, what if you're wrong? And it seems like we're heading towards that fulfillment of that prophecy where the nations you know, will invade, including Russia and so on, Israel. And it is at that time, it says, if we get that uh, interpreted correctly, that God will intervene. And I believe we are at a point where God is intervening. Um, And I I really believe um, that what Obadiah said, that as you have done, so it shall be done to you. And I believe, and I'm praying for that, that, you know, what Hamas has done and all the haters of Israel, it will be done to them. Because unless it's done to them, they will never wake up. And the British the British will never wake up to the reality of the problem that is in Israel right now until the Palestinians will start a slaughter in London or somewhere there that will wake us up and say, hey. Mm. It's interesting because I, I was listening to an interview with the, the son of uh, one of the Hamas. Yusuf, yeah. Yes, Yusuf, yeah. And uh, he was interviewed and uh, he... Uh, he he was he, obviously he's Palestinian yeah, he is, uh, yeah. and so on and and uh, his father was one of the leaders of Hamas and yeah. so on. Um, he spoke very frankly, and one of the, the challenging things that he said was that uh, so many people uh, talk about the children uh, of Palestine. You know, he said, "I am a child of Palestine." Uh, he said, "But uh, let me let me speak." 
about the children. He talked about the need for education, the need for freedom. Uh, I guess freedom, not not fear. You know, freedom of education, freedom of speech, freedom of so on, and and, and whatever. And uh, and it was interesting to hear his 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 point of view as as a Palestinian himself, and so on. But it must be hugely hugely difficult for those people, you know, because they're caught between an evil regime on one hand, and all that goes with that, you know. And uh, I I guess it it has shades of of you know of of the second world war well i've been working with child soldiers in colombia and uh you know the 12 13 14 year old kids who were kidnapped from christian farms and then turned into child soldiers and the first thing they had to do is to kill their own parents to prove that they're worthy of being part of the thing and when you look into their eyes you know their soul has died and what is happening amongst the palestinians that they're training their children to become killers they you know i've seen pictures of them training the children how to behead uh, other people and when you when you do this and brutalize children like this you know you kill their soul and this is my heart i love i love the palestinians mm. they're beautiful people when i look at the members of hamas many of them are well-built handsome young men and i just said dear god dear god what on earth has crept into their soul and uh, to those people who say, oh, we have to pray for Hamas, that God will save them and all that, I would say, don't just pray for them. Go and visit them. Go and lay hands on them and pray for them. Go and say you want to befriend them and change them. And they'll love to see you. They would welcome you with open arms. Have you, have you met, when you, on this last visit, did, did you meet some Palestinians? Uh, oh, yeah, I met Palestinians. I went to Ramallah. And st- I, I can go to Ramallah, but Jewish people cannot get to Ramallah. I mean, there's a large areas in, in Israel where the Jewish people can go to, you know, in your own land, places you cannot go to. And I, I've been, I've met Palestinians and and, and people, and they're, they're lovely people, but... It, there's a problem is that I've got a friend of mine he had a church in Jordan and he's fluent in Arabic and uh, he says I, we, I can preach everything but I cannot say that God's a God of Israel and I cannot mention that Jesus is a Jew and you know this is this is the two trigger points so you never mention with a Palestinian you can love them but they will immediately try to turn you onto their side well in the same way that you were talking about encouraging the Jewish folk that you met on the journey and of course when you got to Israel were you able to do something of the same to the Palestinian friends that you had um the Palestinians, Arab friends I have, they come and visit Israel. They're part of the pastors, pastors' meetings that we have. The Jewish and Arab pastors, they come together. They love each other. But the Arab pastors doing that at the risk of their own life. Of course. Well, again, it goes back to that fear thing again and, and taking great courage to step out absolutely really go against the flow. Absolutely. So there's really not freedom at all. No, not there. at all. What blessed peace in the midst of my storm. Well, 
That's the Reverend William McRae there from, uh, from my shores from Northern Ireland there with peace in the midst of uh, the storm. My very special guest is Pastor Werner Oder, recently returned from uh, Israel, where he went largely to encourage uh, the people that he met. Of course, you've got lots of friends there, haven't you? Yeah, I have lots of friends there, yeah, and they need to be encouraged now because in all ministry, we had a uh, we were supposed to have a big conference called TJC2, uh, which is a very important conference. I'll just take you a moment to talk about it. TJC2 stands for Towards Jerusalem Council 2. The first Jerusalem Council was in Acts 15, where the uh, Jewish church decided not to make uh, Jews out of Gentiles. However, that changed later on when the Gentiles tried to make Jews out of, uh, to try to make Gentiles out of Jews, and because the Jews wouldn't comply, the Gentile church cut off Israel in the fourth century, and that was the end of any record of a, of a messianic uh, community for 1,400 years. And this sin is still there today. It has been mutated into replacement theology that is now being taught in all the colleges in the world, uh, in all Christian colleges, that God has replaced the Jews with the church, which is a lie, which is actually the foundation of the lack of resistance against all the evil in the world today towards Israel. And obviously, there there are many, many Christians, uh, you know, uh, in, in Israel on both sides, I guess, Palestinian Christians and, and Jewish Christians and so on, of course, other faiths uh, uh, as well. Did, did, did you meet any of that community? Yeah, I mean, there's, there's loads of... Um, uh, people around the world who have within the heart a kind of a sense of justice and say what's happening to Israel is really bad and of course in Israel there's all kinds of uh, Christian communities out there ministering in various ways and you know they're, they're all I mean the ones who are in Israel who's staying in Israel they're being threatened with the same danger as Israel is and uh, so tell us more about the people you met. I mean, clearly you, you did say something about the people you met in the, in the airport. Uh, were, were there any other surprising encounters that you had where you were able to encourage and to Yeah, them? I mean, uh, from the airport, I, there's loads of police on the street and they're sort of in groups. Uh, I went from group to group to just said, uh, I've come from the UK to encourage you. I want to just say we pray for you or we love you. And we want you to have courage to believe that you're going to win this war, that Israel will, you know, be successful in that. And the atmosphere within the groups, it was, I talked to the paramedics, I talked to the police, I talked to the military. And, and you know, I walk into their lives as a complete stranger. But, you know, it is Christ in me, you know, God, Jesus in me. It creates such an atmosphere that immediately an atmosphere of love, it captures people. And they were, you know, so, you know, encouraged. You know, it was just so lovely to do that. And also with, you know, everybody else I meet that, you know, um, I, I wish I had more time to go through the whole land to do this sort of stuff. And, uh, of course, some of the uh, first responders at the disaster in Gaza, they are Messianic Jews, the leaders, in a, in a, and they are now paratroopers, and they have come across something they have never seen before in their lives. And and you know so, and the most amazing thing, Blair, is that uh, um, in 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 two chronicles we talk about, uh, we read about Jehoshaphat. He faced an overwhelming army, and he mm. prayed to God. 
oh God, our eyes upon you because we don't know what to do. And then he led uh, an army of singers into the battle. And this is what's happening again now. And there's no other army in the whole world who will sing Shema Israel. The whole army, the whole bunch of people on top of their voices, praising God, asking, crying to God for help. I've never seen this before. I mean, I know I've got lots of friends in the British Army and the American Army. You know, you go into battle with, with pep talk talks, you know, commanding officer just, you know, talks to you, get up your courage. But those people are singing their praises to God. And this is the most amazing thing I've ever seen in my life. Mm. So back you came. Uh, you, how long were you there? What, just about a week? I was there two weeks, yeah. Two weeks, yeah. And uh, was it difficult to leave? It was it was very difficult difficult to leave, um, because um, you know I had to come back to the UK because I've got responsibilities here, because I would have liked to stay and keep encouraging and you know I'm not worried about rockets and alarms and stuff you know I'm not in the slightest bit afraid but lots of people are, and uh, I want to just help them to have courage a little bit. Sounds a bit naive, but it actually works. No, well, I, I mean, I, I guess that, that that you know that was the whole purpose why 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 you went and so on. Did the, I mean you you said that obviously if people advised you not to go. <laughs> Clearly, the British government uh, and there were family and friends who no doubt out of their real love for you said, please, please don't go. Uh, now that you're back, um, uh, how have they reacted to what you've been sharing? Well, people are stunned to hear that it's actually true because, you know, what you hear in the media in the UK is very one-sided, you know. It's it's 10% Israel, it's 90% the other side. Whereas if I come in, you know, I, I want to present the Jewish viewpoint. Mm-hmm. Uh, and me as a son of a Nazi, I can say what I want because I'm not biased because of my background. And I'm not obligated because of my faith. It is just simply that I see what I see, and I know what I know. And, you know, uh, I find it great to be able to speak for Israel when everybody speaks against Israel. Mm. Although, do you think it is, it's not really everybody, is it? Because I I guess that we, we clearly we see on our television sets. But don't you think that the average person who probably doesn't really know a lot of the ins and outs of politics and so on. Uh, I guess that we are all influenced by the media. We're, we're influenced by the pictures that we see on the television screen. And I guess that we're, we're very much influenced by the news reports and what, what is being shared uh, and so on. But, but I guess that probably it's more true to say that, that people are just, their hearts are broken for what... Absolutely. I mean, and I'm quite sure that people's hearts would have been broken when they saw the pictures of what Hamas did and and the things that that were were, were, were quite graphic and so on, you know, yeah. uh, as, as as indeed they see it, with uh, well, pictures from 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 Gaza and so on, we're told to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. What do you think is the best thing we as Christians ca- can do? Well, this this is very. Um Difficult for Christians to understand is that part of God's uh, mandate in the Bible is to remove the evil from our lives. We we Christians have an obligation to live a holy life. We can't compromise with tolerating evil in our lives because evil is cancer 
It's a moral cancer, and it's killing us. And likewise, we need to remove the evil from the world. I mean, this is why a person who commits a crime gets arrested and put into prison. And uh, and so with Hamas, the thing is, those people cannot be re-educated. I mean, anybody wants to do re-educate Hamas, go and uh, hire an island somewhere in Scotland, get all the Hamas people there, and you spend, you know, ed- re-educating them. Great, fantastic. But those people, they cannot. They have been invaded by some demonic force that is scary, that is frightening. I mean, I'm afraid of nothing and no one. But some of those people, the, the, the evil inside is so powerful, they have to be killed. They have to be annihilated. They have to be removed. And, and historically, you know, in the Bible, you know, when God said to King Saul, you have to wipe those people out, you know, people objected, well, that's genocide. But they have been so brutalized that their children have become unmanageable killers. And, and you cannot tolerate this in a do-good society say, oh, well, we're going to help them. You can't help those people, and they have to be annihilated. I mean, clearly, uh, the, the, I suppose that partly uh, lines up really with, you know, with, with justice and, and, and so on. Uh, and, uh, and I guess that also not fully understanding all of the situation, and I guess with many, many issues in the world, we we have a distorted view because of yes. what what is being fed to us by the by the media uh, uh, and so on but of course that's uh, Joe Cocker there and Jennifer warns with uh, lovely us up where we belong well changing t- tax slightly i mean clearly you know if you look in the broader world stage and even in in our own country that clearly that it's interesting really that um that it does seem that the moral standards that we have the laws that we that we have in in, in our own country that that god is not hugely high uh, on on the agenda and and so on but uh, you've always been very passionate about Revival. Uh, I mean, for people who have no understanding, I mean, how would you how would you explain revival? Yeah, it's a promise that in Acts, where God says He's going to pour out His Holy Spirit, you know, in the end times, and we have been in the end times for the last two thousand years, right? So we must be <laughs> at the end of the last day. Well, we're definitely the last days. closer, aren't we? <laughs> we? We must be on the last day of the last days, and revival. Uh, is a concept that we can only understand from the Bible that the first thing that happened to the people who were uh, religious before the disciples and yet they were religious, they believed in Jesus, they went to church, but they were hiding in their own room with doors locked for fear of the Jews. And this is where the church is today, right? We all, you know, have a nice service, we close the doors and we have a nice knees up and stuff and we think that God is happy with that and we feel good and we go home. But when revival comes, God does something amazing. Firstly, he puts a fire of the Holy Spirit in people that gives them the courage to stand up and speak out. Those disciples were afraid of the Jews, and then when the fire came, they bust that door open and declared a message, and all the people were afraid of them. 
And, and this is the courage, the Holy Ghost courage. That's the thing that is missing in the church today. You know, I believe that the average church is not filled with the Spirit. The average church is filled with fear. And, uh, you know, uh, and, and so when a revival power comes, people suddenly have courage. They, be, they have this Holy Ghost audacity to stand up and say, I don't care who listens. I declare that Jesus is Lord, that God is God. And that doesn't change. So that's courage is one thing, is Holy Ghost power. And I really, I really believe that this is beginning to happen around the world. Whatever is trigger, the trigger point, I don't know. I think one of the trigger points is prayer. And this year, in the year 2023, we have seen a prayer movement on an unprecedented scale. You know, and even people like Mike Pickle, okay, he's in the bad news at the moment, but he led an amazing prayer movement in millions and millions and millions. And I know that God hears the prayer of one person, let alone 10 hundred million. And so there's a great movement of God praying and the Holy Spirit is beginning to do a mighty work. Actually, there is an event uh, uh, tomorrow night, actually, at, at Lansdowne Church where Christians are being invited to come together to pray yeah. for all of the unrest in the in the Middle East. And uh, I'm just uh, getting my... Yeah, it's Pray Big uh, yeah. for Israel and the Middle East. Yeah. And this is at Lansdowne Church uh, yeah. uh, uh, tomorrow uh, evening. Obviously, if you're listening to the program on Sunday, uh, then you will have missed it. But, yeah. but of course, you can just pray... Uh, where you are uh, and so on because all your prayers are, are acceptable uh, to God just as long as you're praying with your heart uh, and being led by the Holy Spirit but anyway this is tomorrow tomorrow night the the, the second of uh, of November interchurch uh, event and uh, the the scripture which is quoted is my house should be called a house of prayer and of course that's encouraging that uh, uh, among many other things, that one of the roles of the church is to pray, yes, to absolutely. become a house of prayer. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. At 7.30, that event begins uh, uh, tomorrow uh, evening. Yeah, it'll be worse for people to change all their agendas and go there and pray. And we pray for Rosa Blandford, who does lead that prayer as well. So God bless you, Rosa. Yeah, I mean, there, I guess that one of the things that there has been a, a real rise in prayer. Of course, the other thing is that, do you think that the average person doesn't really believe in God? Because uh, obviously, you know, I guess that that if you look at one level, I was reading yesterday that the people who are declaring themselves as as witches and warlocks and and Wicca, uh, the census showed that they're on the increase, uh, and and locally, actually, the figures. Uh, are also increasing. Uh, so there is this sort of uh, outward recognition by many people. But would you say that it's equally true that that probably today more than ever that because people don't go to church, does it necessarily mean that they have divorced God? No, it's true. And uh, I'm not worried about the increase of, you know, whatever witchcraft and stuff like this. In fact, I love people like that. Um, one of my neighbors, he was the 31st degree Freemason and his, his wife was uh, and looked like a witch. And they were committed to the occult. They showed me their library, most amazing occult library in the world. 
And at first, my my anointing aggravated their demons. You know, that's no no doubt about it. But as I kept visiting them, that you know, the devil has to retreat. If Christ is in you, the devil has to retreat. And they began to experience the freedom when I would visit them. That the powers of darkness would recede and give them freedom. And and this is the thing that you know, when you're walking with God, it doesn't matter who believes in anything. You know, it it it's it, it, Christ in us, the hope of glory, creates an atmosphere of holiness and power around us. Of course, one of the things that Satan likes to do, I mean, yesterday, of course, we had Halloween. Today, we have All Saints Day. Uh, Of course, one of the things that that Satan doesn't like is uh, for people to uh, even think he exists, you know, to think that actually he's an angel of light, that that, uh, when in actual fact, of course, the, the opposite is true. Yeah, absolutely. And, and I think our message as believers is to declare that Jesus has disarmed him already. He is a defeated foe, and we have to understand this. And today's all saints, and so saints need to be filled with the Holy Ghost power, and then all that fear will go. And and people who, I mean, those Freemasons, they were telling me the reason why they became Freemasons, because they went to church and didn't see any power in the church. And this is so true, and we need to, you know, address that. And every church leader needs to say, "Hey, I have to look into my own life here now. There's no power in my life, so I have to seek God." You're listening to Community Now on Hope FM with Keith Jones Bookshop, serving the community for over 50 years. Visit keithjones.co.uk. And my very special guest today has been Pastor Werner Oder. We've had a very interesting and very uh, conversation uh, today. We've just been talking about a revival now. I know that you you very much feel that that God is particularly using older people in in preparing the way. What what brings you to that conclusion? Well, it's because uh, older people who have been believers for a long time, they are people who have proved God, who prayed, who have got moral standards in their lives, who have suffered for their faith because life creates suffering. To prove our faith, uh, people with experience, the people who know what's what. And the young people don't know that. Young people, you know, do not have any of that experience at all. They have, they may have enthusiasm, they may have faith, they may have some kind of uh, effervescence in their life, but you need more than that. And the revival that God is, is, uh, is 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 creating right now around the world you know is senior people like you know when moses uh, ran away you know he went to the desert and spent there a long time he was an old man when god called him so did abraham and so did elizabeth and zacharias and people like this that uh, have already proved god for a long time and they're the ones who can lead in the right direction and so i am absolutely convinced that is the people that you know you know, the world says it, it's you, it's over for you. You're too old. You're too sick. You're too. And I said, no, 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 no. In <laughs> God's eyes, you have great value. God is counting on you. He hasn't given up on you. He is just there, wanting to do the greatest thing in your life. He wants you to finish well, and uh, the best is yet to come. This is my message. Of course, the, the Bible says that hope deferred uh, makes the heart sick. Uh, I guess it. Might must be very difficult for people who you know, been, had, you know, had faith all of their lives, praying and praying and praying, and maybe not seeing the fruit of their prayers. It, it can cause them to be discouraged, can't it? Well, yeah, I've, I've probably got a, a list as long as a mile uh, of 
prayers that have not been answered. And it is true that hope deferred makes the heart sick. But this is part of life, and we have to live with a hope that is deferred by not giving up hope, but not losing hope. Okay, it hasn't happened, and I'm greatly disappointed, and it's asking me, I'm asking questions about God, why not? But I believe that this is all part of life, that it makes us strong, makes us who we are today, and makes us uh, a force to be reckoned with, even in our older age. Well, of course, it is true that that, that is the challenges that, that, that come into our lives that actually shape our character and toughen us up a little bit, I reckon. Yeah, I mean, when you're disappointed in God, if you have to firstly be honest with God that you're disappointed in Him. You know, Job was, and we have to work through all this when we have to make a decision say, I still will believe, I still trust God, even though I have not seen the things I prayed for. And now, and going back to uh, uh, younger people, I mean, when I w- when I was young, uh, and uh, my Sunday school in Ireland, there were five hundred young people there, and of course, I learned the, the basics of the Christian faith way back there. Of course, there are many of our of our younger people who have had no input at all uh, of anything Christian and so on. So, I guess there's a whole education challenge there. For, for the young and indeed for some of the middle-aged and, and the older folk as well. Yeah, I think you're quite right in saying that the character is being shaped, you know, through adversity. And if you have a leader who has got no character, no, no Christian spiritual character, he's just a diabolical person because the you know the evil inside has not been settled has not been dealt with and you know suffering does shape our character and we need to understand young people coming to faith they'll have to suffer first a little bit 